Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. America's fastest growing TV brand, TCL, brings you Mackie and Judd. But was it, uh, you'll love this question, don't worry. I'm sure, I've been waiting for it. Uh, last year, the, the screen game with Jarek especially was extremely effective. It, it hasn't really been so far this year. Uh, what's the difference? Yeah, we haven't been very good at it. Um, I don't want to go into details why, but yeah, it's been a concern, yes. They're a great screen team, but we we have not been very good at screens, and that would help us. Okay, that was uh, that was Mike Zimmer answering a Matthew Collar question, and oh look, Matthew's on the phone. What? It's funny how that works. Matthew from uh, the Purple Podcast and fifteen hundred ESPN dot com. Judd, throw the number. Out. We were just talking during the break. Courtney Cronin tweeted this. Yes, it has to be fake news. Vikings running backs in two thousand eighteen off screen passes have gained fifteen yards. On the season. Seven, and it's Dalvin Cook, seven catches. She tweeted this out, too, with the breakdown. 15 receiving yards, Dalvin Cook. Okay. On screens. How is that possible, Matthew? Uh, well, first of all, Manny did a nice job screening my call. That's wow. enough. All right. Yeah, can we be done wow. with this? Bye, Matthew. Rich Gannon up next. We'll see you yeah. later. Goodbye. <laughs> okay. Uh, that I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> so, Football. That covers the stench of that comment. Is that the air freshener? Part of this, part of this, is that they used a lot of wide receiver screens to Stephon Diggs, as opposed to running back screens. Specifically, I thought they had a really good game plan against the Philadelphia Eagles, who have a similar player to Akeem Hicks and a similar player to Khalil Mack in Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox. So. Uh, in order to neutralize those two guys from blowing up their game plan, they got the ball out of Kirk Cousins' hands quick and into Stephon Diggs' hands, and he made quite a few plays, and they were able to move the ball down the field that way. Uh, and then that was with Delvin Cook out, so they didn't feel like they could use Latavius Murray as effectively. But as we've gone along, teams started to figure out that they were going to throw these quick screens to Stephon Diggs, so they mostly bailed on those, uh, even though that wouldn't have been a bad plan really against the Chicago Bears since they have such a, an incredible front seven. Um, and then, you know, when Delvin Cook has been in the game, there have been a few swing passes. There have been a few passes to him that have been quite effective when he lines up as a wide receiver. Uh, 24-yard slant that he ran in Green Bay. He had a six-yard out route that was, I mean, for a running back, you wouldn't know he was a running back running his out route for six yards uh, against the Bears. It was really nicely done. And so I think that that's kind of where they've tried to work the passing game in the, in the short throws. But 
not so much in the traditional Jarek McKinnon style screen where all the offensive linemen get out and start moving and you dump it off to the running back and he works his way through traffic. And, you know, I I don't think you have to look very far to figure out why this is. I mean, you you look at the New York Giants. The New York Giants is a mind-blowing stat for you. We think they've been horrendous this year as a passing offense, right? But they average the same number of yards per attempt as the Vikings. And they've been pretty much just as effective in terms of your expected points, like one of those advanced stats. And part of the reason is that Saquon Barkley gets a ton of screen passes. And who is the offensive coordinator? Pat Shermer. And I think he was really brilliant at finding ways to use his offensive linemen to the strengths that they do have. Uh, I can tell you the strength of the uh, Vikings offensive line is not going head-to-head with Akeem Hicks one-on-one expecting to drive him back. I, I can I can tell you that leaving Riley Reef one-on-one with Khalil Mack on the third and nine and, and just hoping that that works out, that is not a strength of the line. But Pat Elfline, I feel like they just have not used anything he does well. And, you know, Danny Isadora hasn't played a ton at left guard, and he's pretty quick and uh, can be used in that screen game too. So I think it really starts with what their scheme has been. And, and I don't think that the only reason it hasn't been effective is just because Cook was out. Latavius Murray was decent at catching passes when he was in Oakland. You would think that John Filippo would be okay with using him in that screen game too, but it has just not been part of the offense at all, and clearly Zimmer is not thrilled about that. I was going to say, Caller, speaking of a flip, the play calling, and Zim, what are we to make of it this week that in media access periods on Monday and then again today, Zimmer is being fairly frontal about his uh, disgruntlement and not being pleased with the scheme and specifically essentially calling out uh, Filippo on a consistent basis. Because this, on Monday, the comments were intriguing, but he continued it again today. This seems to me to be a fairly frontal campaign now to either get uh, Filippo to change his ways or there's a good chance that we are potentially looking at a new OC in 2019. And I would not be shocked if his name is, ladies and gentlemen, drumroll please, Hugh Jackson. So there are a lot of really interesting things at play here. I mean, for one, I don't believe that Mike Zimmer can criticize Kirk Cousins because if he does, then Mike Zimmer might be looking for a new job if this doesn't work out because Kirk Cousins is the quarterback. There's no debate like we were having last year all the time, and they weren't locked into Case Keenum at all, so he could say whatever he wanted. And also I think Case Keenum took it. Uh, with a grain of salt where maybe Kirk Cousins wouldn't. So he knows that his own success is very much linked to Kirk Cousins, and there's no point to him saying, oh, yeah, it's all Kirk's fault. (laughs) I mean, that does him no good whatsoever. Uh, It does him no good whatsoever to trash the offensive line either because you need those guys. You can't lose those guys. There's nobody else. You're not just going to all of a sudden bring in some Hall of Famer next week. And from an individual basis, I give each guy a, a lot of credit for how they're trying to play, but when Riley Reef has to go up against Khalil Mack on every third down one-on-one, he's just not going to win. I don't look at that as his fault. I look at Pat Elfline as a guy who battled back as quick as he could from uh, multiple off-season surgeries only to face Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox, and Akeem Hicks in the first few weeks of him returning, and also a guy who's not being used to his strengths. So you're not going to look at a guy who went through multiple off-season surgeries who you want as your center for the next 10 years and say, yeah, it's his fault, right? Or the left tackle that your GM paid $55 million for and say, yep, that's on him. Or your rookie right tackle, right? You're not going to do that, even though the offensive line is an issue. So who can you point something at when you have to blame somebody for this? Someone has to take responsibility. 
it's got to be the offensive coordinator because it's part of Zimmer's own staff, so it's a little bit of looking in the mirror with that, and, and Zimmer has been maybe a little more involved in the offense, or at least he was with Shermer, uh, than he had been before with North Turner. But I, I think that there really is no other option. So by doing this, in a way, he's trying to take some of the scrutiny off of Cousins and the offensive line. See, Kyler, I... I... I feel like a lot of Vikings fans felt that they were promised, promised it's a strong word, but that it was it was sold to them that, hey, of all these young offensive masterminds, the Vikings are getting one here in John D. Filippo. He's going to be the offensive coordinator, and he's maybe he's not Sean McVay, but he's in that mix. And, I mean, I'm watching what's happening on Monday night in that game between the Chiefs and the Rams, and that is next-level calculus, not only with players performing at their peak, but the chess pieces being put in spots where they should be. And I don't know, like it's it's hard sometimes to parse apart how much is Kirk Cousins, how much is it offensive line, how much is it play calling, but regardless of how we divvy up the blame and the pie chart, what we're watching is not high-level calculus with the Vikings offense compared to the Chiefs and the Rams and the Saints and uh, even like the, what the Chargers have been doing offensively this year. So remember uh, last year when the Houston Rockets and Golden State Warriors were playing just a different basketball game than everyone else? And then now you see a little bit more of teams catching up, but, but not entirely, even though you kind of expected them to. You expected teams to just like try to copy the Warriors, right? And it, and it just didn't really happen. No one has gone all in that much as, as those two teams did. And I think that's kind of what you have a little bit here is, Everyone expected all of these other offensive minds to look at Sean McVay from last year and just copy him or from Andy Reid and copy him and and take a lot of those things. But uh, it kind of amazes me on a week-to-week basis that we see a lot of teams just kind of sticking to what they do. And I I think you've seen a lot of the Philadelphia offense that has come over, which was a very, very good offense, of course, and they got a heck of a lot out of Nick Foles. But, you know, Kirk Cousins is not Carson Wentz. One of the things that Carson Wentz, by the way, did last year and still does but was really great last year before his injury is making plays where there weren't any. What's the worst thing about Kirk Cousins as a quarterback is that he never makes a play where there isn't anything there. And so maybe a lot of the genius, uh, okay, so it worked for Nick Foles, the RPOs, things like that, but that put them as a 13-3 team in Philadelphia was just how well Carson Wentz was playing, and maybe it doesn't exactly translate. And when I watch, I see a lot of what Philadelphia was doing. Philadelphia was not a huge screen team. It's a lot of the same sort of running schemes. It's not very much Pat Shermer, which worked really well for Case Keenum and and might have been able to translate here too. So, you know, I think in a a lot of ways what they got was – kind of a flavor of the month type of guy that had not really proven that he could do this job like Pat Shermer had uh, from years past. And maybe the concern should be that he tried to square peg round hole with this offense and Kirk Cousins. But then at the same time, you don't want to take all the blame away from Kirk Cousins who just flung it to two guys for interceptions that lost in the game and who had chances. I mean, there was a, there was a three-man rush on a third down with Cousins where instead of moving around in the pocket and looking for something downfield when he had time, he just flung it to nobody. And you're like, well, I can't really put that or the two interceptions on the offensive coordinator. And I felt that way quite a few times this year. So we kind of go round and round to whose fault is it, and it's a little bit of A and a little bit of B. So, Collar, go inside the mind of Zim for me and tell me this. 2018 offseason arrives, and he sits down and meets with Spielman and his coaches. 
Does Zim say this league is really changing and offensively we have to evolve? Or does Zimmer say, damn it, I'm a defensive guy. And you know what I need more of? Defense, defense, defense. Because I could see him skewing to to the second one. And with the way that the league is going, I'm not sure that's the right call. So, you know, I get, I get this email and tweet a lot about Zimmer and being old school. And, and part of that's because he's, 62 or 63 years old. That's a huge part of it. But this is the same guy that looked at Norv Turner and went, nope, that ain't going to work, and got rid of him midway through a season. I mean, he resigned, right, because he wanted to leave. That's, that's all that happened there, just a, just a regular resignation. Uh, so they force out Norv Turner and hand the keys over to Pat Shermer, and Mike Zimmer goes on this mission to find out more about offense so he can help with Shermer to, to become a competent offense, and then they go 13-3 with a very, a very creative offense that got everyone involved and utilized their playmakers to their strengths and was, was just downright brilliant. Uh, you know, so, I mean, I look at Zimmer as a guy who's always willing to change and adapt, and I, I think that he probably looked at this offseason with Kirk Cousins as things are not going to go as right as they did. The number one defense is something you can never quite rely on and expect. So you have to bring in the best possible people to play with some of these teams that are that are really good offensively. I, I don't think – I mean, I think that there's a part of Zimmer who wants it to be 1984 or something. I am sure that that exists, but I don't think he's handled it that way. I think that the decision to bring in Kirk Cousins is all about knowing that you have to compete offensively. Yep. That's Matthew Collar. You can find him on the Purple Podcast almost on a daily basis, 1500ESPN.com. And bad puns, too. And, uh, yeah, he uh, he's the master of bad puns. All right, happy Thanksgiving, and we'll catch up here soon, Matthew. See ya. Bye. <laughs> the enthusiasm is off the charts. <laughs> Football. All right, Rich Gannon joins us next to continue the football hour on Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder, this station does not endorse this. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yes. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check traffic here. 169 southbound. We've got a crash uh, near Eden Prairie between Pioneer Trail and Old Shakopee or in Riverview Road. That's causing about a seven-minute delay. So if you're in that area, uh, be ready for a little bit of congestion. Gentlemen. Football. Thank you, Manny. All right, let's uh, keep the football hour rolling here. Here's our friend Rich Gannon, and uh, and we were we were just talking. Well, we did this yesterday, and and uh, with Matthew Collar last segment. That game on Monday night between the Chiefs and the Rams felt so much like when the Golden when you watch the Golden State Warriors about four or five years ago, and you and you realize as you're watching it, whoa, this is different than almost anything I've seen watching the NBA. I mean, the NBA just feels different now. That's the feeling I had anyways, Rich, watching that game on Monday night with precision passing, uh, genius scheming, and some might say terrible defense, but even some great defensive plays mixed in with all the scoring, too, with Aaron Donald. Um, what did you make of it now after digesting for a couple days? You know, it's interesting. I, I think there's two teams that are, that are similar when you look at how they've been built, how they're coached, how they call plays, um, you know, what their strengths are offensively and defensively, and also the weaknesses. I think the coverage units did not play well, whether it's linebackers, 
which who I thought were a liability and coverage really on both teams. And then you know, look at the secondary play was not very good. Now, that being said, you also got to tip your hat to Patrick Mahomes, Jared Goff, um, you know, Andy Reid, Sean McVay. I mean, almost 1,000 yards of offense. I mean, both quarterbacks played lights out. They threw for 10 touchdowns. The difference in the game was the five turnovers from Mahomes, the three interceptions, a couple fumbles. And, um, but these are, these are really good teams, and, and uh, you know, they, they're, they're similar. I mean, you know, the, the Rams have Gurley. The Chiefs have Hunt. Uh, you know, the Rams have Brandon Cooks. The Chiefs have Tyreek Hill. I mean, it's just it's fun, it was fun to watch. It really was. And I, I, that was certainly I, the most exciting NFL game that we've seen through the first 10, 11 weeks of the season. Hey, Rich, how good is Goff, and and how much better is he made by the fact that he gets to work with McVay, who is so good at play calling? I think he's, you know, I was concerned about him. He was 0-7 as a rookie. Uh, in fairness to Jared, it was a bad situation. They had fired Jeff Fisher, had fired the offensive coordinator, and then they promoted a tight ends coach who never called plays. So they weren't very good. He wasn't sure they were bad up front. And they, they, the only thing they had was Todd Gurley. They didn't have much count at the receiver position or even tight end so um you know last year i think was his coming out party i think he and sean McVay hit it off from the start i, I just think his accuracy from the pocket uh, it's not a very not a very complicated system that they're in 11 personnel almost 90 percent of the time one tight end one running back three receivers so they just line up and you know line up and just attack you but he knows where his quick answer throws are he's very accurate throwing those deep crosses and uh, it's a fun offense to watch. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Do you enjoy watching shootouts like that, or is that too much like Big Twelve football, where you know it's just <laughs> you know it's Texas Tech games every week? No, I enjoy it. Look, you know, um, I really like good quarterback play, and I think we, we're seeing that. With you know, I'm concerned about the lack of depth and talent we have at the quarterback position in our league. And that being said, these are these these are the quarterbacks of the future. It makes you feel good about our league, but. Um, I really like watching both of them. I, I, I'm a huge fan of Mahomes because in my 31 years um, associated with this league, 17 as a, uh, a player and 14 as a broadcaster, I don't know that I've ever seen a young quarterback with this much talent. This Mahomes kid is only going to get better, um, but he's got it all. I mean, he's got the anticipation, the accuracy in the pocket. He's got the, you know the arm talent. He's got great feet, maneuverability smart i mean you just go down the and check each box as you go i mean this is this is about as good as it gets for a young quarterback right out of the gate so rich as, as we see uh offenses like the rams and chiefs uh become so proficient and so good what is your guess about the defensive adjustment that we're, we're going to see because we all know that coordinators basically when when the season is done go into dark rooms and don't come out until they can solve things what's your guess about the adjustment to the adjustment to slow guys like Goff, Mahomes and these offenses that look so darn good right now I think you have to go back to college football and really look and evaluate what they're doing there because I think we're seeing more of it creep into our game I think you look at what Andy Reid did Andy was kind of a pure west coast guy but you watch him now They've incorporated a lot of the concepts and principles that Patrick Mahomes ran at Texas Tech. So you see some of the RPOs, the run-pass options. You see some of the zone read. You see a lot of him functioning and operating from the gun. Uh, when you look at both teams, the Rams and the Chiefs, you not only have to defend the field vertically, but you also have to defend the field horizontally. You know, they just spread you out. They throw a little quick 
uh, bubble screens to guys like Kareem Hunt. It's like a punt return for him. He makes one guy miss, and he's off to the races. So I think you've got to be able to match speed with speed. And so if you're smart, you you get your nickel and your dime and your quarter packages on the field so you have five and six and seven defensive backs out there. That's the only way you can match up with, with the, the team speed of both the Rams and the Chiefs. Rich, how much stock do you put in – you know, being balanced on offense because on, on Monday night we just saw all the fireworks with these quarterbacks throwing the ball all over the place. But we know, like with the Rams especially, I mean, they can run the football too as well with Gurley. And we see it with the Saints. They're among the, the at the top of the league in, in running the football too with Kamara and Ingram and those guys. With the Vikings, we're here we're seeing sort of a, a, a difficulty with them being able to run the football. And even to the point now where if the running game isn't working early for them, they've kind of abandoned it and gone away from it, as we saw on Sunday night against Chicago. So, I mean, how how important is it going to be for the Vikings in particular to find a little bit more balance on offense? Well, I think you're being kind when you say it's difficult for the Vikings to run the ball. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Look, I know Chicago's a good defense, but, you know, you, you can't go out there and have two backs carry the ball 13 times for 17 yards. I mean, it just it isn't going to get it done. And, you know, I know that when you look at attempts, rushing attempts, the the uh, Vikings are way down. I think the 30th in the league, maybe 30th or 31st. And so that's, you know, that's something. Look, part of the problem is is that you've been riding the hot hand of Kirk Cousins, right? I mean, he's, he's throwing the ball well. I don't think he made he had his best performance against the Bears. I thought he was at times overly aggressive. He missed some throws. There's no question about that. But, you know, for the most part, he's been really steady. He's completing over 70% of his passes, and so I get it. But at the same time, you have to be – we talk about complementary football. We talk about, you know, developing a mindset, you know, in terms of the running game and play action off of that. They, they just have not done a good enough job with that. And I think it gets back to who are you as an offense? I mean, what's your – you know, you know, what is your identity as an offense? And as the weather changes – you know, when you start playing these games, uh, you know, in Chicago or in Green Bay, uh, you know, you better be able to pound the football a little bit. And uh, that, that to me, is an area that uh, I think needs to be addressed and it has to, it has to happen in a hurry because um, they've got the talent there to do it. They've got two backs that are certainly capable. But, boy, you know, if, if they're only getting – four or five touches. That's the other thing. You know, we always talk about the script and getting off to a good start. But if you're if you ever you're a running back and you've got one or two carries in the first quarter, you know what I mean? How can you you know, some of the best backs in football don't get rolling until they've had, you know, twelve, fifteen carries. And so that's been a bit of an issue, not just against Chicago, but really going back most of the season. Also Rich Gannon, our guest here on Mackie and Judd you know, if you're just if you're trying to find ways to replace a running game or get the ball, we had a number that uh, Courtney Cronin from ESPN.com threw out. Vikings running backs have combined for 15 yards in the screen game this whole season. And I looked up just now between Dalvin Cook and Latavius Murray, they've combined to catch only 35 passes, and we're two thirds of the way through the season. I mean, you I know it's different systems and different different eras and stuff. But, I mean, you had years where was it Charlie Garner, Tyrone Wheatley. Those guys, you, you'd throw, they'd catch 100-plus passes combined in a season, and that's a way to sort of replace a run game sometimes, and the Vikings don't have that either. No, and look, John is a good play caller, but he, it's not like he's been doing it for 15 years. Yeah. He's been an assistant. 
I think some of that comes with, you know, look, he's going to look back on each game. He's going to look back on the season and say, here's two or three areas where I can improve as a play caller. But I just think that's one area. I mean, you've got, you've got Cook and Murray, both very good space players, um, guys that catch the ball well enough. I mean, the screen game is very effective. It takes the edge off the rush. A lot of times you're seeing uh, teams like both the Chiefs and the Rams on Monday night, they do it off a of play action where they actually fake it to the back. You've got action away, and all of a sudden the back slips out and the right or left flat. And the, you know These are big plays. I mean, you talk about explosive plays, but um, that's surprising. I wasn't aware of that in terms of the screen game and even the, and even the receptions. And, um, you know, and part of it is, is, is a point of emphasis. If you're talking to Kirk Cousins about, hey, look, we're going to take a shot on first, 10, first and 10 to Thielen or Diggs. If it's not there, just throw it to the back. Just check it down to the back over the ball. Let's move on. Let's, let's, I've got plays. You know, it's a lot easier to call plays on second and four and second and three as opposed to second and 10. That's an area where I think Cousins can improve as well. Hey, Rich, what is the, the thing that, that you've seen, the common attribute from the best play callers, what do they possess? Because we do, we assume it's an easy job until we see it look tough. And and Pat Shermer in 2017 was phenomenal. And I think we took it for granted here. But what do you see as the common thread among those who are best at calling plays? I think in critical situations, you cannot think about plays. You have to think about players. How can I get the ball into the hands of my best players? How can I get the ball into the, the hands of the hot back or the hot receiver right now? You know what I mean? And, and that's one area. I think the other thing is, is you design and, and you put together a game plan that takes advantage of your players' strengths and also takes into account their weaknesses, things they don't do well. So, for example, Kirk Cousins, I'm not going to put him in situations where he's not comfortable. He doesn't have a history you know, he, he, and, and hasn't done it at a high level. You look at what Thielen does well, or Diggs, or we say, well, hey, look, we're starting to get, Thielen's starting to get doubled when he's outside the numbers. What can we do to get him touches? Well, we can get him in, inside in the slot, or we can get him in bunch formations, or we can get him in stack releases so that the, the corners can't press him and affect the timing and the rhythm of the passing game. What can we do in terms of uh, different personnel usage, formational usage? You know, running the same plays but doing it differently each week. And so that's, to me, you know, the good play callers, I mean, you look at, we just talked about um, Sean McVay. They, they, they run one personnel grouping the m- most of the entire game, and yet it looks different each week. So, um, you know, to me, I think, you know, the running game, it's, it's not something you can, you can't just minor in it. You can't just say, well, you know, this week all of a sudden we're going to decide to run the football a little bit more. You know, you've got to work at it. You've got to work at it each week. You've got to be committed to it. And to me, the Vikings just haven't done that consistently enough the first 10 games of the season. Yeah. Rich Gannon, man. Hey, where do they got you this weekend? I got the Battle of Ohio. We've not seen Cleve. I'm sitting here. Uh, it's not a great week on CBS, mind you, but... <laughs> That's, a ringing, That's a disclaimer, Rich. Ringing endorsement. <laughs> and, and, and let me just say this. I, I've been looking at all these rookie quarterbacks. This Baker Mayfield's got a chance, guys. I'm just telling you. He right. throws the ball really well from the pocket. Um, he may turn out to be the best of all these rookie quarterbacks. All right, all right. I like watching him. Very and fun he's, to watch. He yeah. is, he's, yeah. I mean, he's he's definitely shown some uh, some interesting bright spots this season for sure. And hell, the Browns have already. I mean, the Browns have already. They've won going into this season four games in the 2015, 16, 17 seasons combined. So they can tie their win total for right, the let, previous let three years. Of, let me give you a bit of trivia, right? Real quickly before I before we go. Sure. If Cleveland loses this weekend on the road, it would be their 26th consecutive road loss. It would tie the record set for the Lions from 2007 to 2010. 
They're 0 and 4 on the road this season. They went 0 and 8 on the road in 2017 and 2016. They lost their last five road games in 2015. Jesus. Their last road win was a game in which I did. It was it was in Week Five of the 2015 season. They beat the Ravens in Baltimore, 33 to 30 in overtime, and Josh McCallum was the quarterback. That's how <laughs> wow, bad. That's how bad the Brown the Browns have been on the road. Their last road win was Week Five of 2015. Good God, goodness! You're gonna get, a, get a, you're gonna get us fined by the FCC for spouting. Language like that. You came up with a McCown reference too. That <laughs> yeah. was awesome. That's you guys a, are the best. All right, Thanks, see you, Rich. Happy bye. Thanksgiving, Rich. man. See you guys. All right, Rich Gannon from uh, CBS goes from Baltimore Bengals to uh, the Battle of Ohio. Man, I feel like he's gotten about three Bengals games here in the last yeah. month. <laughs> Poor guy. CBS, as, as he said, I don't think is cleaning up when it it's comes. Him and, to him. It's him and Kevin Harlan, right? They're the, yeah. they're the pair, right? Well, they're yeah. great. Yep. Yeah, they're fantastic. It's a good broadcast for sure. Hey, we may have some developing turkey of the year news as it pertains to what Patrick Ricey may or may not do. And unfortunately, he's not on the show today. He's ducking us because he's apparently, what, without? I'm in New York. What's he without? He's got a phone. I don't care if he's in New York. I don't know if I'll pick the phone up or not. I guess we, we could try call to call him. him. We can yeah, try just to see. Him. We might as well. Let's throw a message out to him just to see if uh, if he's going to reveal what he might do for Turkey of the Year tomorrow. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN. What is it you're trying to say? Now, back to Mackie and Judd. What? On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check traffic here. It's brought to you by T-Mobile, 35W southbound. We've got a crash in Minneapolis uh, between Washington Avenue and 3rd Street that is uh, causing a bit of a delay there, so be on the lookout for that. Also, 494 eastbound, we've got a crash near Mendota near the uh, Minnesota River Bridge and Highway 13, so uh, look out for those areas. Now at Metro, buy a select Samsung Galaxy or LG phone and get a second one for free on a new line. Metro by T-Mobile. Plus, sales tax and activation fee requires qualifying plan. Phone free after all is instant rebates. Free phone of lesser or equal value. See store for details and terms and conditions. Our guy Patrick Royce may not be doing a Turkey of the Year award this year, but that doesn't mean we can't speculate on who it would be if he did. I think it's just a lot of gobble gobble turkey. Just gobble 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 turkey <laughs> from Jive Turkey Gobblers. <laughs> Are you saying there's breaking news? More developing news. Okay. Uh, you found this on the Star Tribune's Twitter account. So I need I need some help here because I, I saw Pat tweet out last night or this morning sometime that he was not going to do a turkey. The, the committee had shut it down. This was Tuesday. To okay. whom it may concern, due to complications involving the turkey committee, there will not be a turkey of the year presentation on Thanksgiving morning in the Star Tribune. And then a couple spaces... There will be something. Okay. This was on Tuesday. That's odd and cryptic. So it was very cryptic, but he was he definitely implied that he has something. He also awarded himself, or the committee awarded uh, him, the, yep. the chair, which is Pat, last year's award, uh, which we thought was just the end of it, right? That, according yeah. to him, that was the mic drop. Yeah. And, and the end of it was Sid and the homers have won, and I'm just done. Yeah. So the developing news is, what did the Star Tribune just tweet out? Star Tribune just tweeted out, and Roycey, from uh, his vacation in New York, retweeted this. 
Have no fear, fair turkey readers. There might not be a banquet. There might not be a committee, but there will be a winner. It's coming. And then a picture with a bunch of turkeys. Okay, so did this get to the... You know, did this get to 11.59 p.m. of negotiations and Pat said, uh-uh, it's not happening. And someone at the Star Tribune said, no, 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 like it's happening. I'm, I'm struggling to figure this out. I was told. And he won't answer our call, by the way. And he did tell me, he did tell me about a month back or so that he did inform uh, the boss that he was not going to do it. The column was not going to exist. So my guess is somebody at the Strip said, you can't just not do it. This is I mean, people. I feel like they should have hashed this out last year. Should as you, some contract negotiation, as, should have been. As you both know, in our business, sometimes things get pushed aside for quite a while until what we like to call the eleventh hour. So, but people have looked forward to picking up their papers for how long to find this out. Like, it's a big part of Thanksgiving for sports fans in this town. See, I was hoping he would do this last year, but it's even more fitting this year. If he really wanted to drop, last year was a good mic drop. It was, hey, Sid Hartman has outlasted me in life and in media, et cetera. (laughs) Hopefully not in life, but well, that sounded like what he was conceding. (laughs) He He should make his boss's boss's boss, the owner of the Star Tribune, the turkey of the year, and if he has to publish it online so that it doesn't go through editors, just publish it, walk off. Come on, make Glenn Taylor the turkey. Wow. Mm. Make Glenn Taylor the turkey, Pat. That would be bold. And don't look back. Well, You know what's the right liter- thing to do. Literally don't look back. <laughs> that, that would be <laughs> the a, right thing to do. That would be a certain slogan that we used to have on this uh, station. Ballsy. Many years ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't see that column and or blog lasting on StarTribune.com for more than about 10 minutes. Light all, on fire and change now, all the passwords, Pat. Now, here, here's the one thing that, that I said in our one before you joined, Phil, that might be uh, some of the impetus for Patrick coming back and doing this. You know what offends Pat the most, I think? Baseball people who, in his mind, screw things up. And I was thinking to myself, the Twins brass, right? The Twins brass, I think, even with Tibbs and Butler and, and Coyle and Fleck, Falvey and Levine would have had a really good chance and what would have put them over the edge to me with Patrick is a very simple thing, the opener. The opener, I I think of all the 2018 sports things that offend Pat probably, I think the opener is the runaway winner. And so I do, I would not be surprised if he in his baseball, because he loves baseball, and it's, I think it's the only sport that truly offends him when something gets astray or screwed up. Yeah. That's the only thing I'm thinking, too, is I wonder if it's going to be tied in. I mean, the man went on a diatribe at a press conference introducing a manager about the opener. Rocco, considering where you came from, I suppose you're a fan of the opener that is ruining baseball as we know it. <laughs> Did you write a column you know on that? that? <laughs> Several. <laughs> He's not kidding. He might, you know what? He might even make Rocco Baldelli the turkey of the year for considering the opener and then telling him to be open minded in that answer. For not completely denouncing the idea of the opener. <laughs> turkey of the year. Rocco Baldelli for losing his opening press conference by embracing the opener. Uh, the, the poll results at 1500 ESPN on Twitter. Our guy Patrick Royce, he might not be doing a turkey of the year this year, but that doesn't mean we can't pick one. Here are the choices. And we made a, we made little. Little uh, ballots, basically, or little 
uh, tickets. Tibbs and Butler, 83% right now. And Glenn Taylor should be on that ballot, too. Mark Coyle and P.J. Fleck, 8%. Derek Falvey, Thad Levine, 6%. Spielman and Cousins, 3%. I think Spielman and Cousins should be a little bit higher on that list. The Vikings haven't beat anyone this year except for the Eagles, and even that that's not a playoff team. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this it's runaway for the Wolves, for sure. And, well, it should be. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we've touched on the recent... I don't even know if it's reckless. It's actual twin speculation that came out last night. Uh, mm. We should do that when we come back here. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Okay, man. On 1500 ESPN. Speculation! Reckless speculation! With no regard for human life! We haven't done a lot of twins, hot stove stuff. I actually have like three or four names that I'd love to riff on with you guys maybe next week as we approach the winter meetings for the twins. Okay. This was not one of them, but now it has to be because John Morosi is one of the more plugged in, credible national baseball reporters you're going to find. And he tweeted out, this was last night that the Minnesota Twins are interested in and have had preliminary talks about a Paul Goldschmidt trade, a source confirms. Though the dialogue has not advanced in recent days, Minnesota had uh, the fifth lowest OPS at first base of any major league team in 2018. Joe Maurer was part of that. Uh, Arizona had the best OPS because of Paul Goldschmidt, who, by the way, was terrible for the first two months of the year and still finished with classic Paul Goldschmidt numbers. 33 homers, uh, batted 290 on base of 389. This is a this is a, an on-base and power machine who drives in everything and also stole 32 bases two years ago. I didn't see that. Oof. He's I, got one year wow. left on his deal at $14 million, so he would be a one-year rental player, and then you'd have to figure out if he'd resign. So I hate to buzzkill that, but our, our buddy Dan Hayes followed up with a tweet then confirming the Morosi report and saying it looks like the Twins already are going in a different direction than Goldschmidt. But here's my question to you. Would you make a trade for a year of Goldschmidt knowing full well that he almost certainly would walk after 2019? I'd need to know what you're giving up, and I would think... I don't. I don't think the Twins are a Paul Goldschmidt away from doing anything in 2019. So why would you? I I feel like if you were on the ver, this it makes more sense to pull this trigger in July. If you're on the verge of something, and you feel like you're one bat away from making some noise in the postseason, then you give up a couple prospects for a Paul Goldschmidt. Here's a name that might make more sense actually, and this was thrown out. I don't think he was linked. To the twins directly. This might have been just some speculation. I I don't know. Can't remember. Reckless speculation. And he's not as good as Paul Goldschmidt. He's around the same age. Carlos Santana, who's now with the Philadelphia Phillies after being with the Cleveland Indians for about a decade, first base slash DH type, and he's coming off a year in which he only batted two twenty nine, but his on base percentage is always around three fifty, which would be among the Twins leaders. He always hits 20 to 30 home runs. So he gets on base, chains moving, can play first, DH. He matches left-handed pitching. Um, The yeah, but with Carlos Santana is he makes, I want to say, $20 million each of the next two years. But the Twins are in a spot where 
They can absorb well, some money. Got, I was going to say, they they can absorb a, a decent amount. And he's how old? Uh, he's 32 years old. Okay. So he's he, I'm, he's not Paul Goldschmidt. He's, and he's under contract for two more right. years with a team option after that. And the Phillies are trying to make room on their roster for Bryce Harper. And they've got Reese Hoskins. Who's Must gonna, be tough. Life must be tough when you're trying to make room for Bryce Harper. I know. Now you might say, well, why don't the Twins try to make room for Bryce Harper? Well, all right. I mean, $400 million. I don't think the Twins. I, my guess is the Twins aren't going to be the team that gives Bryce Harper $400 million. Just a hunch. Yeah. Based on their history. I think that's probably very sound logic. But could you, could you tell the Phillies, hey, you're in a jam. You want to clear some spots for either Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. We're not going to give you great prospect, but we'll take Carlos Santana off your hands and all of that money. So you can clear room. You might be able to get a guy like Carlos Santana for a B-level prospect, in which case your offense is improved. So are the Phillies, are they trying to move an outfielder to first base that would take over for Carlos Santana then? Reese Hoskins, Reese Hoskins. is a first baseman, I think, by trade. But they've, okay. they've stuck him in. This is like the National League because you don't have a DH. You just stick guys in the outfield. Right. Adam Dunn was in the outfield for a while with Oof. the Nationals. Oof. Just a, a totem pole with a glove tape to it. Yeah. Um, and so um, I don't know, and maybe Bryce Harper winds up as a first baseman at some point because he's not exactly as rangy as he used to be, even though he's, he's not old, he's like 26, Yeah. but there's some, there's some guys like trade targets, like Carlos Santana, Paul Goldschmidt, and the twins definitely have the money to play ball. Would they want to give up the prospects? I think it's a lot more likely they make a trade for a guy like that than sign Manny Machado for 10 years. I think they make a move for a starter. A starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. I think. I think they actually pr- probably are more aggressive going to try to get bullpen help. Bullpen help. Yeah. yeah. Here, here's what I can't figure out about these guys yet. Are they going to to push a lot of chips in for 2019, or is this going to end up being part of a process? And I don't think that's. I don't think it's a given that, despite the fact that they're going to have potentially, if they want it, a ton of uh, cash to work with. I don't think it's a given they're going to spend a ton in 2019. I don't think you're going to see a $120 million payroll. Like what's going to happen is they're going to get to opening day. They're going to have spent some money, but people are going to be super mad because they didn't spend all of the money. But if you don't, let's say you don't get Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, which let's be honest, they're probably not going to get Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. Mm -hmm. Do you really just want to spend $80 million for the sake of spending $80 million, which is pretty much what they did when they signed Irvin Santana and Ricky Ricky Nolasco to those contracts. That's what I was just going to say. Oh, let's go get the third best pitcher on the market. Oh, it's Ricky Nolasco. Here's $14 million a year on a four-year contract that was terrible. Wasn't Matt Garza, too? They were in talks with Matt Garza. He didn't return. They got got Ricky Nolasco instead. He didn't call him back. Yeah, he was on vacation. He was on vacation. He didn't call the twins back, and he ended up not having a very good year either. Here's what I want to see starting next season for the twins. I want to see that there's a plan here, a coherent plan. I'm not going to get all bent out of shape if they don't go spend a ton, but I want to see what the plan is now because you've got all your people in place. Mm-hmm. You've got the manager. You've you've taken the executives, and I believe now put those into how you want those to play out. I want to see the plan. Well, you're not going to. But I want to see, I want to pick up on what it is. <laughs> I want to have a feel, <laughs> I want to have no, but I want to have a feeling that they are that they are now because this is all them now. This isn't Terry's people. This is all them. Yeah. I want to feel that there is a plan in place here and if it's going to take a year, it's going to take a year, but I still want to see it. I think there's a lot of fans that are so cynical about the cheap poll ads that mm. they think the Twins plant stories like this Goldschmidt story just to sound like they're in on Guys, 
But I think they're they actually do? in a. I think they were actually they in do? a new Darvish last year. I don't know. John, we're in. On who? Goldschmidt. Bye. Print it. <laughs> Tweet it. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We will see you see uh, actually for Ventline on Sunday night and the Mackie and Judd on Monday.